0: Well let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Second Thessalonians chapter two. Second Thessalonians chapter two, and our text this morning will be verses eleven and twelve. We've been studying through the second chapter of Thessalonians and After comforting the Thessalonians in chapter 2 in persecution, he now is correcting their understanding of eschatology, of future events. And he's doing it, again, with the purpose to comfort them. And that's why we call the book of Thessalonians a book about comfort. Because he is, first of all, saying... Everything's OK in persecution, and he comforts them there, and now he says, "Actually, I'm going to comfort you about a misunderstanding that you have had." And so there's a comfort as well as a correction here in Second Thessalonians chapter two. And so our text this morning is, is verses 11 and 12. But again, I want us to set the context beginning at verse one, and we will read through verse 12 this morning, and then we will go into our text. Listen as Paul writes as he is superintended moved by the spirit to write so what he writes is the inerrant word of God and so what we have here is the is the inerrant word of God now listen as Paul writes now we we request you brethren with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to, together to him that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accordance with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders." and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Again, I would ask you to join with me in prayer as we go to the Lord before we tackle this text this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you revealed yourself to us because otherwise we could not know you. We thank you that you gave us your word, that you... uh, Put it down in writing so that we can know that it is true, that it is right, and that we have it available to us. And so I pray this morning that, again, you will use your word to speak to us, that the Holy Spirit will teach us, illuminate the truths of your word, and then may we go out encouraged. May we go out more in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, more in love with him, and that we would sing your praises as we leave here this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. So as I said, we have been going through the second chapter of Thessalonians. And in this, we understand that two things are taking place. And what Paul is doing here, he is describing the day of the Lord because they think they're in the day of the Lord. And he is also revealing to us the Antichrist and giving us details of what will take place. And so as Paul began this Chapter again, he requested that when it comes to the gathering of our Lord and Him coming, in other words, Christ is coming, and in particular, our gathering together to Him that's the speaking of the rapture back in chapter four. He says that you n- not be quickly shaken from your composer or, dis- or disturbed by a spirit, a message, or, or letter as if from us. So there's been this misunderstanding. And I think we can probably understand that because we've seen many times where there are those who have made predictions about the Lord's return. And they have been free to make these predictions and there's been various times in history. And we've had them recently even, I think it was David Camp, who made these predictions when the Lord would come. And then people get all, in it, all upset and they turn their lives upside down and they sell their houses and they quit working and they, they put skylights in their house roofs in case the Lord raptures them. And they do all of these crazy things because they think that these predictions are true. And so we have a little sympathy for the Thessalonians because we're kind of like, well, how could they be like that? And yet, they have much more what we would call authority going on for their their misinterpretation than most of us do. Often we have here in our times one guy, often on the edges of society or Christianity, and he, he makes a prophecy. But here... These people are in the midst of the first century. The sign gifts are going, everything's going. And so when they, when they think they got, uh, someone says, the Lord spoke to me, or I, you know, the Holy Spirit was moving me, they, they were going, yeah, that, that, that definitely takes place. And so they're, they're ready for it. And so when someone says, I have a message from the Lord, guess what? This is what's taking place. Or you know what? Actually, we got a letter here. I got a letter from Paul himself. He's changed his mind. He's got fresh revelation. He's got fresh bread here for us. And guess what? We're in the day of the Lord. And so they're upset. And Paul says, how could you lose your composure so quickly or be disturbed by this? And there's kind of this double idea of they have emotionally just got shot to the moon. They are, they are, their minds are not functioning correctly. And there's also this idea that they have left the truth that Paul has given to them in order to take the lie. And he says, how could you be shaken from what I've told you? And how could you be so upset about all of this? I already told you this. He says... they're telling you what? That the day of the Lord has come. The idea is the day of the Lord is present. They think they're in the day of the Lord. They look around, they see the persecution, they see the problems. Must be the case. I didn't think we were going to be there, but it looks looks like we got it wrong. And so Paul continues and he says, I want to give you some reasons why you're not in the day of the Lord so that you're not anxious, so that you don't lose your mind, so you can gather yourself together. And he says, let no one in any way deceive you. In other words, don't be deceived, Thessalonians. You're not in the day of the Lord. And then we, we look at this verse... And, and we look at the language here, and, and I'm going to give you Tony's version of this because I think, and I think it's correct to the grammar. And verse 3 should read, For the day of the Lord is not present unless first during the day of the Lord the apostasy comes first And after the apostasy has started, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. In other words, these are two events that take place during the day of the Lord. They are not precursors to the day of the Lord. Paul said in chapter 5 that the day of the Lord would come like a thief in the night, it would be a surprise. And so he says, the man of lawlessness, this one who is not without law, but rather is against the law of God and the son of destruction. He brings destruction. He's against everything that God stands for. He's the one who ultimately will what? Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. In other words, there's going to come a time where the Antichrist is going to throw off all restraints and say, guess what? I'm God. Worship me worship me alone every object of worship, worship every so-called god actually i'm the true god he says and he will take his seat in the temple of god this is what daniel calls abomination of desolation and the antichrist will overthrow the worship in the temple in jerusalem and he will what display himself as being god Now, for the Thessalonians, there was still a temple, but for us, there's no temple, and so we know this can't be taking place because there's no temple. He says, do you remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And there's a little bit of a rebuke there where he says, actually, you know what? I already told you this. Fact is, I told you more than once. I was telling you this. In other words, I I didn't just say it once. I taught you several times and you're still panicked and ran away, which is interesting, right? I think we, we again, we, 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 go, we maybe would look down on them, but how often do we have to be taught the same things until we get it, right? Now, maybe I'm just speaking, I'm judging you like I'm judging me, and maybe you're, you're better than I am. But the thing is, we often have to be retaught these things, and the themes of Scripture continue to go through. Why? Because people need to hear them again and again and again until they become, what, part of their convictions. He says, I told you this. We can't be in the day of the Lord. You don't see the man of lawlessness, the great apostasy, that great turning, this this great turning away from truth. Has not happened. Now we certainly see signs of it today, but it's not to the degree that will take place in in the tribulation. And then he goes on and he says, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only who knows restraints will do until he is taken out of the way. And he says, the lawless man, lawlessness, the man of lawlessness can be revealed because there's a force that is holding him back. There's something that is keeping him back. It has to be supernatural because we know he's energized by Satan. And so we know ultimately that he will be revealed when this force is taken away. Verse 7 says, only he who now restrains will do so. In other words, it's a person. It's a person. And who's that person? Well, that person has to have supernatural power. Who has supernatural power? It's the Holy Spirit who's in the world, convicting the world of sin, who's striving with men, convicting the world of sin. And he says he will do that until he's taken away. Verse 8, then the lawless one will be revealed whom God will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. And he says, here's this Antichrist. Not only is he being restrained now, so he's not here. And if, he, if the Antichrist and the lawless one is not here, then the day of the Lord can't be here. But guess what? Don't be afraid. The law, when the Lord comes back, when he appears, when he's revealed, when he is seen for who he is, when he comes back to put his feet on the Mount of Olives at the end of the tribulation, he will not come back with armies to destroy him. He will not come use his angels. He will simply use his breath. And his breath will be strong enough to take this strong man who has conquered the world in Satan's power and simply ab- abolish his ability to have power. He will bring, bring it to an end. It's not that he will be annihilated but simply he will be rendered powerless. He will be then ultimately cast into the lake of fire. We saw in verse nine that he is empowered by Satan. He's energized and he will come with all kinds of power and signs and false wonders. In other words, he will come in the power of Satan in a way that has never happened in history before. And he will do all kinds of signs and wonders. He will do miracles that will point to, to the greatness of who he is. And these wonders will these signs will ultimately cause wonder in people. And it's all false. It comes from falsehood. And with all deception of wickedness, every kind of wickedness that, dis, that can can be conceived will be used for deception. And he will have influence on, we saw, we saw he entraps those who perish and they perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. They did not take the truth and ultimately so as to be saved. In other words, they rejected the truth of God. They rejected the gospel those who heard it and they did not take the truth and in rejecting the truth, they damned themselves. They were not saved. And so as we come to this, to our our section here in 11 verse 12, he's now going to explain really that idea that they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. And in this passage, we will see divine delusion and divine judgment. And we will see that the rejection of the truth for these people ultimately leads to divine delusion and divine judgment. And we can take solace in the fact that we won't be there and that we will never be deceived. The elect cannot be deceived and that we will not have to face this. And so we need not to be anxious because we recognize that this is for the unbeliever. And we will never fall under the deluding influence that God sends, nor will we stand under his judgment. So Paul begins in verse 11, all of this to get to verse 11. But I wanted to review because I want us in context what's taking place here for this reason. For what reason, Paul? For what he just said, because they did not receive a love of the truth so as to be what saved. Because they rejected it. For this reason, because they took the truth of God and they said, "Not for me. I reject the truth that I see. Whether it's the whether it's seeing God through his general revelation or through the the gospel." Whatever those truths were, they simply rejected them and said, I will not agree with that. I don't want the truth of God. For this reason, God will send them a deluding influence. Now that may go against everything that you think about God. Isn't God love? Isn't God, isn't God just dying to have sinners come to him? Isn't God sitting in heaven wringing his hands and saying, Sinners, please choose me? No, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of, Bible, of the Bible is absolutely sovereign. There's nothing that man has that he needs. He tells us that before the foundation of the world, he has chosen those who he will save. God is in the saving business of who he chooses. He's not waiting for men to choose him. And so he says, God will send them a deluding influence. God is involved in the damnation of sinners. And when it says, for this reason, God will send, what he's describing here is divine recompense. In other words, he is sending them a strong delusion. The words here are not to be weakened as if it meant merely that in righteous judgment, God permitted a strong delusion to be sent to them. The words are not mere assertion of judicial permission, but an actual retribution. Okay? Okay? In the ordinance of God that the wicked by their wicked actions fall into greater wickedness and that thus sin is punished by sin. And what is an ordinance of God is appointed by God himself. Do you get that? In other words, God has ordained... That when you sin and you choose sin and you reject truth, that more sin will result in your life, which will ultimately mean more punishment for sin. That is God's order. You reject truth, then he's ordained that that you will be punished by having more sin in your life. And he says to the unbelievers here, you reject the truth, you choose sin, guess what? You'll get more of it. And so he says, God will send them what? Divine judgment. This is what he's sending. There's a divine judgment on them. The sovereign power of God is going to act upon them and ultimately seal their eternal fate. He will seal their eternal fate. He says literally a force of delusion, a force of deception that will come upon them. God is going to send it. Not Satan, God is going to send it. So that they might believe what is false. Now, we, re- we read in the book of Revelation, when the Antichrist comes, the world will worship him. Revelation thirteen fourteen, And he deceives those who are on the earth because of the signs which he has done. We saw that back in verse 9 of this chapter the one who coming in according to the energy of Satan with all power and signs and false wonder and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish. He will come with signs, he will come with wonders, and he will deceive. Now you might ask yourself, well, how can the, how can the Antichrist deceive everyone? How can that actually be, Right? Well, partly through, partly through these signs and wonders, right? Partly he will come and he will come with signs and wonders and he will demonstrate to the world who is looking for a savior, who is looking to be saved, who wants not the God of the Bible, but their problems solved and he will declare himself to be that. But at the bottom of all of this, at the bottom of all of this and remember this, and this is one of the things that we take we take actually joy in is recognizing that it is not Satan who's in control of all of this. It is God. God is sending them a what? Deluding influence. He's the one who is sending, as it were, the inability for them to turn. It's God who's hardening their heart to the truth so that they will not believe. Now we shouldn't be surprised by this. Now, sometimes we are, but we shouldn't be surprised for this because in Scripture, this theme comes up over and over again. And you'll see it through Scripture. And sometimes we read the Word of God and we're not looking for certain things and we can miss this. But it, this idea of God hardening hearts is clear in Scripture. We only have to go back to the Old Testament to see... The children of Israel, they are in Egypt. They're, they are now getting to the end of their 400 years that God had ordained for them to be in Egypt. Moses has been called by God, and Moses is going to Pharaoh and, and saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh is saying no. Right? And so they start, He starts to, the plagues start to come upon them. They have the, 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 the plague of the flies. And Exodus 8, 32 says, Pharaoh what? Hardened his heart. Harden said, uh, Pharaoh said, no, I'm not doing it. The more, the more you tell me about your God, the more you demonstrate this power, you know what? I'm not doing it. You guys are staying right here. A couple of plagues later, we get to the plague of the boils. And Exodus 9, 12 tells us, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God is the one who gave him over. God fixed him on a path from which he would not take him back, which he would not detour him. We often don't think of that, do we? But there's a responsibility with truth. And when truth is rejected, there gets a point where God will decide what? Enough. Enough enough. We see that again in Isaiah chapter 6, right? God calls Isaiah to go and to preach righteousness, to preach judgment, to call them to repentance. And so Isaiah says, well, how long do I do this? How long do I do this? And of course, God says, until they repent, until they repent. No, he didn't. What did he say? Keep, go tell the people, keep on preaching until what? Keep on, on, keep on listening, but until they, until they keep on listening and do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of the people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return and what? Be healed. Whoa. Yeah, that's what God said. Keep on giving them the truth until they're hardened to the truth and they can't see. Solomon said in Proverbs 5.22, His own iniquities will capture the wicked and he, the wicked, will be held with the chains of what? His own sin. In other words, there's a price to be paid. You, get, you, you start often with sin and sin is fun right? It promises pleasure until it, what, chains you down and you can't get out of it. And you continue to sin in grosser and more frequent ways because it's got you captive and you can't get away. Well, pastor, that's just Old Testament stuff. God was a little angry back then, right? He's a God of love now, right? Ever since the cross, we have a new God, right? Be like Jesus, right? Be like Jesus. Okay, let's be like Jesus. Remember the parable? Remember Christ started his ministry and he taught everyone, didn't he? He's out in public giving the message and then what happened? They accused Jesus of doing miracles by the power of Satan. And what did he do? He started to speak in parables. Why did you speak in parable, Jesus? Because while seeing, they do not see, while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, I did exactly what Isaiah did. I preached them to the point where their eyes are closed and they are hardened to the truth and the rejection. And now I'm hiding it from them. I'm speaking in parables so they can't hear. this Isaiah passage is actually used quite a bit in the New Testament. Mark, Luke, John 12, Acts 28. There's a point that they're making. If you will not hear, you cannot hear. God hardens those who reject the truth of the word. And so this judgment that's coming here in in this verse is simply that God is sending a deluding influence. They are sentenced by God to not hear the truth. They are judicially sentenced so that they will accept evil. They will accept untruth. They will accept lies. And again, God is using who? The Antichrist and Satan to bring about his divine will. Remember, no one God causes no one to sin. God makes no one stay in their unbelief. That is a moral choice. It's not an intellectual choice. It is a moral choice and an unwillingness to believe the truth. And so God uses Satan and the Antichrist to bring about his divine will. Now we shouldn't be surprised by that. Again, we go back to the Old Testament. God is doing the same thing. First Kings chapter in chapter twenty-two and twenty-three. God again uses his Satan's for his own purposes. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord was putting a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all those of all these your prophets. God was again taking his hand off and allowing them to what prophesy. To prophesy falsely. God was bringing about his purposes. We're not done. We go to Romans chapter 1 and we see the same idea. We often quote this passage. For the wrath of God is revealed or literally being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. How do they suppress the truth? Not by just denying it, but they suppress it by what? Unrighteousness. Because what, that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. God has made it so that all people have a witness that he exists. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which was made, so that they are without excuse. You can see a witness to who God is through creation, through what is made. It should point you, and again, general revelation points you to something about God. You can see his glory, you can see his existence, you can see his, his, his care, his divine power. For even though they knew God, and again, this is not Epiconosco, this is just the idea that they knew about God. They had an intellectual understanding of who he was, but they did not know him intimately. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, does that sound familiar? We're just smarter than we've ever been in history. We know humanity more than anything else. All those morality codes that we had from the past are so foolish. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image and form of the corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creatures. They rejected the truth. They began to worship the creation rather than the creator. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so their bodies would be dishonored among them. God gave them over. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passage, passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman. Receiving, it says, on their own person the due penalty of their error. God simply said, you want sin? Here's the penalty, I'm gonna give you sin. I'm gonna give you more. You're gonna have more judgment on you. I'm gonna harden you in your sin. And so they became fixed and hardened in their sin. And that's the spiral of sin. When you start to sin and you continue in sin, you don't stay at the top of the bowl, you start going down. And it drags you down Again we could go right back to Genesis chapter 6. My spirit will not always what strive with men. God will not his holy spirit will not continue to always strive. There comes a point where God's grace ends and he says enough. I will give you what you want. I will let you go in your sin. You will have no capacity left to believe and you will believe anything that's a lie. That will be where you are. Now, as we look back at our Bibles, he says in Thessalonians chapter two, so that they will believe what is false what is false. Literally, they will believe what is the lie. The lie. So what is the lie? What does he mean? They will believe the lie. Well, when we look back, the deception was what? That the Antichrist would come signs and wonder with all deceptions. And he does that ultimately to set himself up as what? Verse four. As God. He exalts himself... above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes the seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. And this is the deception that the Antichrist comes with. We often think that the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to be so noticeable. And we think that he's just going to be so evil that anybody can see it. But the reality is, is he doesn't come that way. He comes as what? God. He sets himself up as God. In fact, he sets himself up as what? Christ, as the Messiah. He is called the what? Antichrist, right? Which means, can mean two things opposed to Christ or instead of Christ. And what did Jesus warn about in Matthew chapter 24? As he is speaking on the sermon, as he speaks, He says this in verse 24 Matthew 24:24: 24, 24. "For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect." In other words, he's speaking of future times here. He's talking about about what's taking place. And again, this is taking place within the tribulation period. And he says, listen, during the tribulation period, there are going to be false Christs that come setting themselves up, doing signs and wonders. And guess what? There's going to be one above all else who will come and set himself up. And it may very well be that this, this will be the fulfillment of what the Jews have been looking for. The unbelieving Jews will look on this guy and say, this is our Messiah. This is him who is to come. And it's possible that the Muslims will look and say, well, we were looking for three, right? We were looking for our three prophets to come in the future. Maybe this is the guy. And he's going to come and say, I am that fulfillment. Worship me. I am God in the flesh. Revelation 1920 says that the Antichrist deceived so as to be worshipped. And so he will come, and he will come not, not as Satan, he will come as an angel of light. And so people will be deceived. People will be deceived. interesting when you, when, when, you, when you think about this. You ever talk to an unbeliever and they say yeah, yeah, I, I know the truth of God here. I, I know what's taking place. And yet even without deception they are unwilling to accept this. They are unwilling to come to him. Satan is not in his full power. He's not in his full deception, and yet people think it cannot be true. So there's this divine delusion that's sent by God, and it's sent to people, and it says in verse 12, not only is there a divine delusion, but it ends up in divine judgment. They will believe that lie, they will believe in a false god. They will worship him as if he were God. It's similar to the, maybe to the golden calf, right? They worshiped Yahweh, but they just worshiped him as a golden calf. They, they didn't worship him as they should be. And here, they actually believe that this is God. Verse 12, the divine judgment. In order that they all may be judged who do not believe the truth, but took pleasure in the wicked. Why did God send the deluding influence? Why did he send this delusion into their life? Why did he allow them to be deceived? In order, here's the purpose. In order that they might be what? Judged. In order that they might be judged. In other words, God sent them into their sin ultimately so that he would what? Judge them. Judge them. There is a judgment that is coming for these people. There's a judgment that is in the future in order that they all may be judged. All of these people in this group, all of this people who did not believe the truth and took pleasure in righteousness, the whole group will ultimately be judged. The deluding influence was a judgment of God but there is coming a judgment that is even greater. Paul talked about it in verse, chapter one, verse nine. He said, these pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. These people who reject the truth of the gospel will go to eternal destruction. And that's not annihilation. Again, that is being sent where, where they have no power, where they are given a resurrected body and they are put in hell forever under the discipline and the wrath of God. Revelation 14, right? In the presence of God and the, uh, of the Lamb and the angels. God will be there punishing the unbelievers. God, God is in hell. He's omnipresent, he has to be, and he is there, but not in fellowshipping presence, but in his wrath as he punishes sinners for eternity for falling infinitely short of the glory of God. This is what this judgment is spoken of in Revelation chapter 20 the great white throne judgment. Then I saw a great white throne in whom it sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven had fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the book according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it And death and Hades gave up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged, everyone according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Only those who believe and love the truth will be in the book of life. And all of those who did not receive a love for the truth, who did not love, receive a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. You have to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, these people are under divine judgment. They have rejected the truth and has resulted in divine judgment because what? Who did not believe the truth. They did not accept it. Rather, they were deceived. They did not receive a love of the truth to be sa- saved. They would not accept the truths that God said. They did not accept what God said about them. They did not accept what they, the word of God said about the Lord Jesus Christ and the need to have sins forgiven The need for a substitute, the need for the death of a perfect sacrifice in the Son of Jesus Christ. Rather rather than believing the truth and accepting the truth and obeying the truth, it says, this group of people, but took pleasure. In contrast, in contrast to accepting the gospel, they took pleasure in wickedness. They engaged in unrighteous deeds. And most likely one of those things, and, and some of that was simply that they had embraced a lie and embracing a lie, they now embraced what was unrighteous and called it what? Righteous. Right? We have someone coming who's not God. They accept that lie. They call him God. And therefore everything that he says and every standard that he set out would be received as what? Good. In fact, they end up like Romans chapter 132. Although they did not know the ordinance of God, that those who practice, although they did know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only did the same, but also gave hearty approval to those who what? Practice them. They love their sin. They love their unrighteousness. Isaiah 5 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, these people have rejected the truth. They have accepted the lie. And now they call what God calls evil, they call good. And what God, what 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 they would say, what is God calls good, they call evil. And so God will judge them and he will send them to hell. Well, we don't need to fear that, do we? If we're not destined, right, according to, for the day, we are sons of light and sons of the day, that the day should overcome us. We will never have to deal with the deluding influence. Not that God is not deluding people now because he is. But not in this massive way. We will never have to face this. We never have to have the anxiety of falling away or being deceived because it's not possible because we are God's children. And he sends the deluding influence on who? The unbeliever. And so we have nothing to fear, nothing to be anxious about. But for the unbeliever, this is terrible news this is terrible news. If you're not a believer, this should make you shake in your boots. You should be completely afraid because if God is willing to abandon you from his grace in this life, don't think that it's going to make any difference if you see this in the future. You hear people say, well, guess what? You know what? I'm just going to, live my life now and I'm going to do what I want because like God gets kind of in the way of fun, right? And so I'm going to do what I want and which really means I, I love my sin. But when I see these things take place, if I end up in the day of the Lord and I see this great apostasy and I see the man of sin revealed, then I'll repent. Then, then I'll turn to the Lord because I, I know then it's going to be too late if I don't. Foolish person. Foolish person. He will send a deluding influence. And rather than you seeing these signs and saying, that's him, I better repent, I better turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to say, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. My mom and dad were wrong. My Sunday school teacher was wrong because this is the true Messiah. Don't think that you'll get here and say, oh, Now I get it. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we should turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, you need to fall on your knees and you need to beg him to save you. Beg him to open your eyes. Beg him to show you your sin against a holy God. Beg him to give you a new heart. Beg him to give you a heart of repentance so that you will turn to him. Because if you don't, there's coming a time where it will be too late. There may be a time where God will simply re- take away his grace from you. He will stop fighting with you. His spirit will stop contending with you. And the more truth that you have and the more times you sit under the voice of preaching of the word and a call of the gospel, the more you harden yourself, the more chance that God will finally say, I will give you what you want. I will give you a delusion and I will ultimately put you on the path to eternal damnation. And I mean hardwired. I'm not talking about you're on it now, but there's no getting off. And so... If you're an unbeliever here today, fear. Cry for mercy. Because judgment is coming. You should take no comfort. He's giving people over in Romans chapter 1. There's going to come a day where he's going to give the world over. You don't want to be there. So come to Jesus today. Call out. Fall upon his grace. Fall upon his mercy. Ask him to give you a new heart. Well, the Thessalonians, after all of that, can take comfort, right? All of that. Not gonna see that, not gonna fall prey to that. Don't have to worry about being deluded. God has given us eyes to see. He's already opened our hearts. Therefore, we fear none of this. And so we can rejoice today, we can rejoice. Not only are we not in the day of the Lord, not only will we not face it, but ultimately it's God who's pulling the strings. It is God who is moving the world to where he wants it. Satan is not winning. Satan is simply a tool in God's toolbox. And so we are safe. Praise the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And again, we thank you for giving it to us that we might know you, that we might be encouraged about the future, that we never as we face trials and persecution, even in this life that we do not have to worry about facing your wrath. We praise and thank you that you have given us grace. May we never take it for granted. May we always live in light of that. And may we always live in joy. We praise and thank you for your word in your name. Amen.